We want to welcome those of you who are with us for the first time today. We're very grateful to have you here with us. Amen. Uh, I, I really have a word today. Amen. And, uh, you know, I always tell people it, it takes a lot of work to prepare a sermon. If you don't believe me, try to prepare one and come and preach here. And watch how we respond to your sermon. And so, it, it, I really take it very personally when people don't say anything when I'm preaching. <laughs> I mean, after all the labor of years and months, sometimes, and weeks. And sometimes, you know what happens? You kind of do a rerun of the same sermon and try to improve it a little bit and put this and that and that. I hope you are in a better mood to say amen. amen. I hope you are warmer than the weather in saying amen. amen. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 8 in the New King James Version. It reads as follows. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of death, just as others. But God. We can just stop there and just, we've already had church. We can just go home. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Shabbat. My main focus is on these two words that we find at the beginning of verse 4. But God. And that's the title of my message this morning. But God. The goal of this message is to present the scriptural evidence of God's sovereignty in turning back the damage that Satan causes in our lives. God as a sovereign God has a way of overriding what Satan tries to mess up in our lives. You know, it's almost just like when you press an override button on an alarm system and you disable it or neutralize it, somehow God has a way of disabling and neutralizing certain functions of the devil. This override mechanism by God is captured in these two words, but God. This phrase, but God, forms one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. Really, when you read from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is 
just has so much to offer in terms of this phrase. This phrase actually is used for the three times in scriptures. And when it's used and when you read further, what this phrase is actually saying, your spirit will leap for joy. It is true that the wedding, but God may not always be used in the Bible, but this but God concept is however mentioned throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament alike. And so for the sake of our study, I will simply use that phrase, but God, as an all-inclusive term to refer to this God-orchestrated phenomenon. Our God orchestrates this but God phenomenon in our life. It is used throughout scripture to designate a turning point. And this turning point comes as a result of God's timely intervention. It is a time or a line of demarcation between peril and rescue. It marks a line of demarcation between chaos and control. It marks a line of demarcation between a fall and redemption. God comes in. This but God phenomenon happens as a God response. When God responds to the evil that comes our way, that tries to destroy us and annihilate us, God steps in and God rescues us and God restores us. Do I have people in the house who are saying amen? This but God phenomenon is a God intervention to turn back the works of the devil. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what the devil has done in your life or it doesn't matter what the devil is doing in your life. It doesn't matter whatever the devil is planning in your life, but God is going to press the reset button, but God is going to press the override button in your life that what was meant for your demise and what was meant for your destruction, God will turn it back for your good. Can I hear an amen in the house? In our text, Ephesians 2, 4, it says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. So that phrase that we like is made up of two words, the word but and the word God. The conjunction but introduces God's action towards us as sinners. In contrast with what happened from verse 1 to verse 3. When you read from verse 1 to verse 3, all kinds of bad things happened to us as sinners. We went through all kinds of evil things and bad things, but somehow God springs into this evil, springs into all this situation, and he presses the reset button, and he presses the override button. This is one statement whereby it's almost like when Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians, he's almost like reaching in his pocketbook. And he pulls out a stack of photographs and he starts flipping through them, showing them what they used to be like. He flips through them and shows them how bad they were and, and shows them how bruised they were and, and shows them how bound they were and he keeps on flipping and flipping and flipping all these old photos to remind them of their past. Paul reminds them of what happened then. He says, you see, look at this. In the past, you walked in the path of righteousness. You walked in the past of trespasses. You were falling around in your sins and you couldn't deviate from your wrongs. Look at this picture. Here you are, you are so drunk, you can't stop yourself. Here you are, you are cursing, you can't even stop yourself. 
He pulls out another picture. He says, look at this. You were trapped in this path. You were bound to walk in this path again and again. Many times you said, I will not do it again. But you went back to it. Just like a dog going back to its vomit. And you ate your vomit again. Look at this. Look at this. He pulls out another picture. He says, look at this. You were off track. You were stuck in this track. He pulls out another picture. He says, look at this. You are following the ways of this world. Dominated by the ways of the world. You were manipulated by an evil spirit called the ruler. The prince of the power of the air. Look at this. You were filled with the spirit of disobedience. Breaking the law of God left, right and center. Look at this. You live to gratify the cravings of your sinful nature. Look at this. You followed the desires of your evil nature. Even your thoughts were poisoned. Your thoughts were evil all the time. He says, look at this. You were something of God's wrath. God was going to punish you. God was going to send you down to hell but then he pulls out another card. He says but God he says instead of judgment, instead of wrath, God jumps in the situation and he turns things around. Can I hear an amen in the house? He says this God is rich in mercy. The text says but God who is rich in mercy, turned things around. See, the word but is a conjunction. And if I remember well what they taught me in Bantu education, a conjunction is a word that connects two words. It connects two phrases, two clauses, or two sentences. So that word but means on the other hand. It means yet. It means except that. Most of it, it means marry. <laughs> that word but suggests that what you have heard before it is about to be changed by what I'm going to tell you now. The word sense, the word but says, don't put a full stop yet. I'm here to tell somebody, don't put a full stop yet in your life. God is not over with you. Do I have any people in the house? I said, don't put a full stop. Put a comma because there's a but God that is coming your way. That word but means put a comma because the story is not concluded yet. The story is only over when God says it's over. God is going to have the last word in your life. Not the devil, not sickness, not disease, not the attacks of the enemy. I said God is going to have the last word in your life. The devil may laugh but it's okay. You are going to laugh last because God is going to have the final say in your life. Can I hear a shout of this answer? Very interesting, this word but is used concurrently with God. You know, when you read it in the Greek text, the word God immediately follows that word B-U-T, but. But it, it, it places God in an emphatic position. In other words, God is the subject of the whole passage. Not your wrongs, not your sins, not your evil, not Satan's power. Yeah, we know he did all that. We know all the problems. But God jumps in and says, I am the main subject here. And remember, it's not just anybody. It's God. It's God. 
We're not talking about somebody who has a beginning, who has an end here. We're talking about God, the ancient of days. He's the one who jumps in. We're talking about God who doesn't need anybody's help because he is God, the almighty God. He is God who is the all-powerful God. He is God who is the I am who I am. God says, what is it that you want me to be? That's what I will be. You need food, I'll become your food. You need rain, I'll become your rain. You need protection, I'll become your protection. You need healing, I'll become your healing. You need deliverance, I'll become your deliverance. You want to walk on dry ground, I will open the Red Sea and you will walk on the dry ground. But God... It is the sovereign God who steps into the chaos of our lives and said, it is not the end yet. So the end of the story. I understand all the issues from verse 1 to verse 3 and all the darkness and all the evil and all the waywardness, but I have just jumped in. It's all about me. I'm just about to press the stop button. I'm about to press the reset button. I'm about to press the override button. Do we have people here who say, God, I wanted to press the override button in my life. Maybe things have been messed up in your life. But I'm here to tell you about God. But God speaks to us of God's sovereignty. Where God intervenes in a decisive manner. And he announces. That was the first half. I've stepped in. It's second half. Siabu. God steps in and announces, announces weeping may endure for a night. crying for many years, you may have been crying for many months, but God says it's okay, you've cried but I've just jumped in and I'm about to press, joy is coming in the morning, I'm about to turn things around, the first half may have been bad, but the second half siabuya and you're going to come out on top, can I hear an amen? into our mess and presses the override button that Paul in Ephesians 4 he says and but God because of his mercy he presses the override button called mercy and he says by grace you are saved God presses the, the reset button called grace and he says, because of his grace, and he says, because of his great love with which he loved us. In other words, God can't just help it. We are stunned. <laughs> I, I tell you, God can't just help it. God loves you so much. He just cannot help it. When he looks at you, he says, you're the apple of my eye. When he looks at you, he said, you're available and you're precious. When he looks at you, he says, I'm going to show you favor. I know it's not fair. I know I'm supposed to judge you, but I choose not to judge you. I'm going to show you favor. Favor, favor, favor. How many of you say favor? God steps in 
Because he can't help it. He loves you too much to let your life crumble and let your life disintegrate. Oh my goodness, when you read the Bible, from cover to cover you see these but God moments. I want to go through them with you. Just a few of them. And as I go through them, I want you to think about you. Because their story is your story. And in the same way God jumped into their situation, I see God jumping into your situation. Amazing. The first story is the story of Moses. This is a story of a guy who used to be making it big. And then the guy, as we say, fell on hard times. Yes, Moses, he's raised in Egypt as a prince. Going to the Harvards of the time. Graduating and being raised in a home where he didn't even have to clean, he didn't have to cook, didn't have to wash his clothes. He's being served and people are waiting on him 24-7. All he has to do is to issue a command and his command his word is somebody's command. But then, trouble came. As Moses is looking on in Egypt and he's watching all his people being persecuted, he finally can't take it anymore. He ends up killing an Egyptian and then discovers later on that what he thought was a secret is known everywhere. So he takes off running. You find that in Exodus 3. You can read it at home. And then he runs into this place called Midian. What a different place it was. Overnight, Moses moves from being a somebody to being a nobody. <laughs> you know, those kind of things happen in our lives. Where at some point, you were the driver. At some point, you were the toast in town. At some point, everybody wanted to be known by you but from nowhere then things happen and here is Moses is in Midian he's 40 years old he's looking after sheep at the house of Jethro he has no family he has no home and he's doing the lowest job this man, imagine and remember, if he grew up as a prince, you can imagine probably he doesn't even know how to wash his own socks. But now not only must he take care of himself, he must look after sheep, he must walk in the desert, he must be there in daytime, he must go through and live a rough life. He has to adjust himself and by the way, the guy is 40. And he does this for 40 long years. Imagine the way he's thinking that it's over. I'm 80. What else can ever happen through my life? If anything, I'm just waiting for my grave. I started as a somebody. I'm going to die as a nobody. And God says, you see, just when he thinks it's all over, I, I want him to put a comma because it's not over until God says it's over. Am I talking to somebody in this house? It's not over. And God decides I'm going to have a conversation with this guy. I'm going to cause a bush to burn, yet not consumed. And Moses as he's walking around in his nothingness. And as he's walking around in his life that has no purpose, no direction, no vision, no anything. He's just coasting around. He's just not, he's not even living. He's just existing. There he sees the burning bush. 
and out of curiosity, he walks over there to get to the bush. And when he gets there, but God intervenes. Oh, I see God intervening in your life. Some of you, you had given up on your life. You thought it's over with you. I'm here to tell you, God is about to press a reset button. And when God meets Moses, he gives the guy purpose. He gives him direction. He gives him passion. He gives him vision. He says, even if you are 80 80 years old, when I come into your life, it is the beginning of your life. It is the start of your life. God knows how to erase 80 years of nothingness and start something that is new in your life. I see God starting something new in your life. I see God starting something that you've never seen. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard neither has entered into the heart of man the good things that God has prepared for those who love him but God has revealed to them by his spirit and Moses rises from being a nobody to being a somebody oh I'm looking at many somebodies here this morning why because of the but God factor what about Joseph Here's a guy who, as a young man, he grows up with a dream. And this dream makes him talk and tell everybody. But then, instead of things happening the way he saw them in his prayer time, (laughs) things move from great to terrible. Because his brothers, instead of embracing his dream and his vision, the Bible says they hated him. Have you ever been there where all you did is to try and just have a dream? That's all. You, you, you know, you just told people, they say, I'm full of pusa. That's all, Marie. That, that's, all, that's all you said. And, and after you said that, the, all hell broke loose on you. All you said was, that's all. I mean, it's nothing. But all you said is that I want to build a church. That's all. You're not killing anybody. Because there's an enemy out there who doesn't want you to be a dreamer. You didn't hear what I said, Labata Kama. I said there's an enemy out there who doesn't want you to be a dreamer. And Joseph is hated by his brothers. They decide to kill him. Fortunately, one of them said, Let's not kill him, let's sell him. So they sell him into slavery, and they're in slavery. You can almost imagine. He's in prison. He goes through the Potiphar thing. His friends forget about him. All kinds of things happen. I can almost imagine him sitting there thinking, Mara, was I? Dreaming or what? Was it a nightmare or what? Was it the pizza that I ate when I saw that thing? Was it, was it really God? Some of you, you may be asking yourself that way. That's why Habakkuk says, the vision is for an appointed time. I said the vision is for an appointed time. I said the vision is for an appointed time. Though it tarries, Wait for it. Why must I wait for it? Because it will surely. You know why will it surely come to pass? Because God will never promise anything that he will not deliver. God will never show you a vision that he is not prepared to fulfill. It doesn't matter if it takes 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. As long as you don't give up, God's going to step in and God's going to press the reset button. And when Joseph thought that all hope is gone, God pressed the reset button and Joseph was elevated to the place of being a prince 
What I like about this man, young man, is that even when things became sour, he never stopped dreaming. Oh, don't stop dreaming, Tanasekai. I said, don't stop having a vision, Wanakohai. It doesn't matter if you have failed, get up and start again. It doesn't matter if people have walked away from you, get up and start again. It doesn't matter if they are creating hurdles, jump over that hurdle and start all over again. Because God is about to turn things around in your life. Can I hear an amen in this house? What about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? In Daniel 3, all these boys did is to say, we're not going to compromise our belief. See, many of us, we think when we follow God, and when we become resolute about taking what God says at his word and living by God's word, we're hoping people would sing our praises. You're hoping that when you do things right, people will recognize what you're trying to do. But that's not the way the world is. Uh -uh. The world wants you to compromise your faith. The world wants you to bow to foreign gods. And the world says to you, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. At the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar had erected statues and had told everybody, when you hear the sound of instruments, everybody must bow down to these idols and you must shout, oh great is Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar our God. But there were these three Hebrew boys who had read differently. They had been taught differently. Come on now. I, I, I'm praying that some of you, you don't start changing the things that you were taught at your home. You don't start changing the God that you were taught and you run after other things that you have never tried. You don't go after things that you were never raised on. Things that, things that sustained your parents, sustained your home. Things that brought your parents through a difficult time. And this boy says, okay, Raluta ring, Mararuna were not bowing. They said, if you don't bow, you're going to bend. They said, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I will go down believing God. It's fine. I will go down trusting God. It's fine. Throw me in jail, but I'll go in there trusting God. It's fine. Do whatever, but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to stand on his word. And so the king gets a fright. And he thinks, these guys, I wonder what gives them this confidence. Maybe they're made out of brick. So he gives an instruction, instead of just throwing them into the regular fire that we kill people in, make the fire seven times hotter. Maybe they'll change their minds. And these boys, I like the way they say it. They say to the king, let it be known to you, O king, we are not bowing. We don't serve your God. Neither are we going to bow to your golden image. And they say, if it be so, our God will deliver us from your hand, O king. And we know he will. I said to the king, do whatever you want. Throw us in the fire. It's okay. We're not going to bow. And then the king takes these three boys. And you go read it in Daniel 3. He says, the king calls his three, his mighty men. I like that you can turn. I mean, just imagine. These are just three guys. I like that the cantons of people. And took these boys and threw them into the fire. But the Bible says. 
as soon as they 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 landed in the fire but god was right there in the fire with them i see god going into the fire of persecution with you i see god raising you in the midst of your enemies and god jumps in there with them and the king is looking and he says one two three four one two three four and he looks at this guy says hey didn't we throw three guys in there they said yeah king we throw three guys he says no i see the fourth one in there and the fourth one is like the son of man i see the son of man stepping into your situation stepping into the fires of persecution standing with you when people talk against you when people try to malign you i see the but god coming in there and stepping in there can i hear an amen in this house God steps in. When we're persecuted for what we believe, he steps in, presses the reset button. What about the man at the pool of Bethesda? My favorite story in John 5. This man, the Bible says, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. This is important. Listen. And he's come to the pool of Bethesda to get help. I don't know how long he had been at the pool. All I know, he's been sick for 38 years. But things are not changing. And then one day, Jesus decides, I'm not going to Samaria. I am not going wherever. It's time for the reset button. I am visiting that guy. Remember, there were many people at the pool of Bethesda, but Jesus singles out one of them. And when you read it in John 5, it says, and Jesus knew how long this man has been in this condition. God knows how long. God knows the pain. God knows the sorrow. God knows the discouragement. God knows that you have to cry yourself to sleep sometimes. God knows the prayers that you pray when you're all by yourself. God is looking. I think this guy, he might have been lying there at night and saying, God, I see others going in before me. I see others overtaking me. I, I see you stretch your hands to what others. What about me? What about me? Let's go. Sing it one more time. Who Jesus happened to 
Instead of complaining, instead of crying, talk to God about your issue. Ooh, Jesus, Bible says Jesus knew how long this man has been there. And Jesus has to try and push this man to another level, even if he knows. He, he doesn't ask the, about the sad story. Because remember, but God becomes the subject matter. He asks the man the question, what do you want me to do for you? That's all. What do you want God to do? Oh, never mind the 38 years. Never mind that others have been overtaking you. Loki wak Oh yeah Ha Punseusi taba Si Can you see that man lying on the bed, raising his hands to Jesus and calling out, Jesus, Jesus, That's what you must do. That's what you must do. Ha. Jesus, sing it one more time as you raise your hands as a sign of surrender. Tell him again. see this man right at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to be made well? And, and instead of answering, he comes up with a long story. Lord, uh, when I come here and there's someone goes in before me and when I, Jesus says, ah, what couldn't happen yesterday? It's not about yesterday, but God is here on the moment. But God is the subject matter. Don't focus on what you couldn't do. Focus on the greater one who's standing in front of you. Focus on the ancient of days. Focus on the great I am. What do you want me to do for you? Finally, Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And even after that, he didn't do it. And Jesus goes over there and picks him up by the hand. And the guy takes off his bed and he begins to walk. In one day, God turns around problems of 38 years. I see God turning around in one day. I said in one day. I see God in one day turning around all the things in your family. In one day, God turning around all things in your generation. I said in one day, God turning around things that have gone on for many years. Because that's the kind of God he is. Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen? Jesus. 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 I believe the greatest but God story is when Jesus was crucified. You may take your seats. Jesus was crucified and the Bible tells us when the princes of this world were killing the Lord of glory, they thought they were destroying and frustrating the plan of God. You see, with God, even death is not the end. For years, Satan had pursued Jesus, had tried to kill him, to try and stop God's mission. And one day, it seemed like his plan finally came together. And the Bible says in Acts 13, from verse 28, though they find no, found no proper ground for a death sentence for Jesus, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. See, even death is not the end of the story. God knows how to turn time around. God knows how to reverse what the devil has done. God knows how to undo the works of darkness. Jesus, born in a stable, raised in a carpenter's shop. His parents were poor. His people were slaves. His friends were a lowly lot. His chances in life seemed very slim. He was lied about, crucified and died. But God 
raised him from the dead. And of him the Bible says, because he rose, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And it is because of this Jesus that we have seen light. It is because of this Jesus that we have come out of darkness. It is because of him that we can experience the bad God factor. And the Bible says our text, but God who is rich in mercy. If it had said, but God who is merciful, that would have been enough. But it says, but God who is rich in mercy. The word rich means exhaustless. It means wealthy, abounding in material resources, abundantly supplied. This mercy is so abundant. This mercy is so rich. This mercy cannot be exhausted. You haven't done enough sin for God to leave you out. You haven't done enough wrong for God to say there's no hope for you. You haven't failed too many times for God to not have hope about you anymore. His mercy is rich. His mercy is exhaustless. His mercy is abounding. His mercy is wealthy. It says God who is rich is mercy for his great love with which he loved us. This means because of and on account of this love. In other words, God does this to satisfy his need to love on us. God can help it. He feels good when he loves on us. God intervenes with his grace. I'm here to tell you that God will intervene in your life. Please, I beg you, don't listen to the lies and the disparaging words of Satan. I beg you, please, don't listen to the lies and the disparaging words of the enemy. I ask you, realize that God has the final word. I'm asking you, stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your mistake. Stop looking at what you have done. See things from God's perspective. Incline your ear to these two words, but God. Satan says defeat, but God says victory. Satan says disease, but God says healing. Satan says bondage, but God says freedom. Satan says generational curses, but God says generational blessings. Satan says it is impossible, but God says with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But God is God's response to Satan's challenge. But God is God's last word in your life. But God, when viewed in relation to the problems of life, to the challenges of life, it stands diametrically opposed to the negative roar of the world. The world roars at you. The world intimidates you. The world tries to push you down. But God stands and blocks it off and says, don't touch my girl. Don't touch my boy. Don't touch my child. When the world says, can't, God says, you can. When the world says, no, God says, yes. When the world says, want, God says, will. When the world says, stop, God says. When the world says, don't, God says, do. When the world says, defeat, God says, what? But God climbs to the highest mountain. 
But God travels to the darkest valley. But God sings songs of victory in the midnight hour. But God is courageous. But God is confident. But God is conclusive. But God will have the final say. But God will push you over. God will pick you over. But God will sustain you from falling. But God says it's not over until I say it's over. But God is moments when God comes in and offers a new path. A new path for hope in our lives. Whatever despair, whatever hopelessness, there's a new path. I said there's a new path. I said there's a new path. You see these moments of but God occur when we are at our lowest. And they turn our downtrodden world around for the better. See, it's up to us to recognize these moments. It's up to us to seize these moments when they occur. And it's up to us when God gives us new hope and new vision to follow the renewed path that God offers. Stop going down the old way. Stop whipping up the old photos of your old life. Stop looking at yourself from the past. God has jumped in in verse 4 and he says, I'm declaring a new day. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God looks at you and says, Behold, I will do a new thing. He says, The old has come and has passed. New things do I declare. God says, It's new things. He says, I will make a river in the desert. I will do things that will blow your mind. Can I hear an amen in this house? God is about to do something that will blow your mind. You need to stop saying, but I, and looking at your faults and inadequacies, and rather say, but God. Then everything changes. You may have a number of legitimate reasons why you feel like you will not make it through. Why you feel like what you're facing is going to bring you down. You may have a number of legitimate reasons to feel like You may not achieve what you dreamed of, but two words change everything. But God. And I see God. I see God give you a new lease of life. I see God breathe a new season in your life. I see God raise you up. I see God uphold you. So I will lift up our eyes to the hills. From whence cometh I have. Because he's that kind of a God. That's what he wants to do in your life. Yeah, the past is there. Bad things happen. Wrong happened. But God happened. And it's up to you to take a new step today.
take it over. God is going to bless every one of you. That's my prayer today. Lift up your hands and bless him.